Good morning, FBC. My name is Pat Hall, and I'm so thankful that you decided to join us for worship today. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. On the back of the pew, in front of you, there is a blue card. If you could write down some basic information so we can thank you for coming, that would be great. On that card, there's a spot to put prayer requests, my favorite part. Anyone can write a request on there, and when the offering plate passes here in a little bit, drop those cards in there, and they will get to the staff. For now, I'm going to share some announcements about what's going on in the life of the church so you can know how to be involved. On Wednesday, November the 20th at 5 o'clock p.m., we will be having our annual Thanksgiving meal. The cost is $5 for a regular tray and 3 for a small tray. Your reservation must be made for the meal by Wednesday, November the 13th. This will be a great time for our church to hang out, get together, and fellowship over some great food. Following the dinner, there will be a special Thanksgiving program. We look forward to seeing you there. Our church has a great opportunity to minister to kids at Parkview Elementary School. We as a church collect items for their backpacks, and they are distributed at the school. Throughout the month of November, we will provide snacks for the backpacks. We are in need of 340 snacks a week. That's a lot of snacks. If you would like to donate snacks, please check the Chronicles for information on how to do that. Lastly, I would like to remind you of our Pray, Give, Go emphasis for the month. We are highlighting Operation Christmas Child. OCC provides Christmas gifts for children in need around the world and presents the gospel to them. This is a great ministry that FBC Cookville has been a part of for a long time. But information on what to put in the shoeboxes and ways to help serve, check today's Chronicles. Those are the announcements I have for today. Make sure and look at the Chronicles for those opportunities and others. I am so thankful to be worshiping with you, and I pray the service would encourage you and challenge you to live more for Christ in your day-to-day life.
so much Cairo Youth Choir for coming and blessing us in our worship today. We are so glad you're here. Last night we had a great time honoring our veterans at a special program, special dinner, and uh, it was just a wonderful time to celebrate, to thank those who have served and those who are serving our country. Uh, but we want to do that again today. We want to recognize those of you who have uh, served in the military or are currently serving in the military. And if you have, would you please stand so we can recognize you this morning? Thank you for your service. We so appreciate those who have given of themselves and uh, families who have given family members in service, and we just thank you so much. We are glad you're here this morning as we come to celebrate the Lord Jesus, and we're going to do that, but first we're going to stand and greet one another in the name of the Lord. Let's do that right now. with us. Let's sing to the Lord. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. 
Amen. There's nothing greater than we can praise the Lord for than what he has done for us. Amen. It truly is an amazing grace. We know that we can worship the Lord God because he is our solid foundation. He is our solid rock. Uh, we're going to continue on worship this morning with the song, The Solid Rock. Uh, and let's just worship him with it.
Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are our solid rock. And Lord, there will be one day that we will see you face to face. And Lord, may we be found in your righteousness because of what you did for us. So Lord, we know that, that as we place our trust in you, as we place our, our, our faith in you and that you are our solid rock, Lord, we know that any trials that we come through, Lord, you won't remove those trials, but you'll be there with us and you'll be that firm foundation for us. Lord, so that we will know that when we're in the midst of them, that we can say, it is well with my soul because we have that solid foundation in you. So, Lord, as we continue on and singing this next song, Lord, may we reflect on the fact that, that you are our solid rock and that we can say it is well. In Jesus' name, amen.
assurance that it is well with our soul, Lord, as long as we know you. Because, Lord, no matter the trials we face, no matter the difficulties, you are there with us, walking with us. And, Lord, I just pray for uh, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know that, that statement, Lord, that it is well with their soul, Lord, that they would find you today and find that experience, find that peace that comes from knowing you, Lord, to be able to say in times of trial, it is well with my soul because we know you. Lord, if that person is here today that cannot say that, we just pray that you would touch their heart. And, Lord, decisions will be made for you today. Uh, but, God, I just pray that as we've gathered, as we've sung, and, and now get ready to hear the word, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. May we be richer today for being in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is our text for today. And for the last several months, we've been going through knowing God and what it looks like for us to have a closer, more intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus and, and how we can develop that in a closer intimacy. And, and we need to know God. Every one of us has the opportunity to know God and know God very well. So we need to know God. And, and so we've looked at different aspects of knowing God through the spiritual disciplines. We've looked at uh, many different ways that we can know God more fully. And today I want to turn our attention to worship. Now, as I studied and, and, and began to prepare months ago thinking about worship and, and walking through what worship is, I identified that there's, there's at least three different areas that I felt God wanted me to lead us into as we understand worship. And, and the first is, is personal worship. That there is a, a real reason that we should dive deep into understanding what personal worship looks like before we ever encounter what congregational or corporate worship is. And then looking into the way we will spend eternity in, in the worship that lies before us in the future. So first of all, I have to ask the question, what is worship? And, and you think about that. What, what is worship? What does it mean for me to worship God? Well, by definition, worship is an expression of reverence and adoration of God. Reverence and adoration, a reverent, a reverent heart and, and adoring God, that's what worship is. And, and worship has to begin 
from within. So we'll look over the next couple of weeks at, at what personal worship is today and then corporate worship and then the future worship. And today, from the text that we're going to read, we see David, a man after God's heart. We see that David, in this Psalm 63, brings to an understanding three things. Uh, just to help you understand where we're going today, there's three Ps I want, I want to bring out. First of all, we see for there to be a, a true heart of worship, we must have a passion for God. And we must uh, understand the power of God, and then that will lead us to praise God. So those three things will be seen in this text. In fact, it lays out pretty good. The first three verses say those three words. So, uh, In essence, they say that. So I want us to see that as we walk through this. And, and I want us to know this. Grasp this with me, church. Worship is not only singing. Worship can be singing. But there's a whole lot more to worship than just singing. So I want us to look into what the heart of worship is within our hearts. And I ask you to stand with me and let's read Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1 together this morning. Psalm 63, God's Word says this, O oh God, You are my God. I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I bless you as long, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praise with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Father, we come before you this morning. God, grateful for the privilege to know you. And the opportunity to express our worship before you. God, I pray as we look into your text this morning, knowing, God, that you've appointed us this time. Father, I ask that you would anoint me with your power to deliver your word to your people whom you love. Lord, let it strike in our hearts. And God, let us leave this place this morning with greater awe and reverence of you. And, Lord, more attention to our own personal worship before you. Thank you, God, for this time. Have your will and way in our hearts. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So worship is, is a personal approach to God with praise. It is, a, it is me, it is you personally approaching God with praise. And, and we see that David, David says... Oh, God, you are my God. We, we see that, that God is truly a corporate God. He is the, the God of the universe. He created every single thing that's ever been created. I mean, he was engaged in creation. He's still involved in the world today. And we recognize how God touches every aspect of life. But God is very personal. God is very concerned. Very, God is very involved in your life and mine as well. God is a very personal, 
private God that, that deals with you in your life and my life. It's difficult for us to worship God, though. And I've, I've got to say this on the front side of dealing with worship. It, it's difficult. It, I would say, I, I'm going to carry it a little further. It's, it's impossible for us to truly worship God corporately, collectively, in a congregation if we've not personally worshiped God in our hearts. So a lot of times, I, I don't know where you are. I've been in places in my life, though, where I've come like, hey, it just, it just wasn't, I wasn't there. You know, I just, I didn't, I didn't really get there today. I, I, I just, boy, it's tough. Worship was tough today. And when I reflect on the times in my life when, when that is the statement I could make, yeah, wholeheartedly honest before you this morning, I recognize that my personal worship wasn't there. That I had not personally worshipped God. I had not been engaged in the personal longing for God. As David said, oh God, you are my God. And recognizing the personal touch of God. God is a very personal God. He knows me. He knows you more completely than anybody that you'll ever engage with. He created you. Intricately, Psalm 139 says, He designed you. He, he intricately designed you, created you in your mother's womb before your mother and father ever knew about it, appointed the days of your life to you. God knows you. He's engaged in your life. He knows you. And He knows me. And David, David understands that. David recognizes that this is God that I'm talking to. This, you are my God. It's a very personal God. So there, there comes from that understanding if He is a very personal God, there comes a passion for God. God loves me. God, God knows me. God's called me. God's, God's longing in this relationship for me. So I can get very passionate about God because He's a personal God. And, and we see that. We see David come to that reality. Oh, God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. So we, we see that David says, you're, you're God. And you're not just the God. You're, you're my God. So I, I'm going to be passionate about this relationship because where, where there is a relationship, there's passion for one another. And I have a passion for God because God has a passion for me. And in that passion, I recognize that, that, that God loves me and, and, and God is my God. So I'm going to seek him daily. And David points that out. I'll continually seek you. Earnestly, I'll seek for you. He, he goes on to say, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. There's, there's a passage of Scripture that has etched into my heart throughout the years. It's early in my walk and journey with Christ. I came across this passage of Scripture. I think it was the first time that I read through the Old Testament, which would have been shortly after I got saved, after reading the New Testament, went into the Old Testament, and uh, was just walking through that and, and, and consuming the Old Testament. I came across this passage, and I want to share it with you this morning. In fact, I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you, First Chronicles 28. You've heard me. If you've been around me any length of time, you've heard me reference this passage of Scripture because that it's just that text. Those 66 books are laid before us, and every bit of it's valuable. This right here spoke into my heart, and I hope it will to yours. It says there in First Chronicles 28, verse 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, 
He will let you find Him. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. That is a powerful text. In my life, I recognized as, as a man who lived uh, in a land of sin and had sin in my own life, I came to my Savior at 31. I came to the realization that if I continually sought after God, if I, if I looked for Him and I was seeking Him with my life, He'd let me find Him. He was not a hidden God that distanced Himself from me, but He's a very personal God, and He wanted a relationship with me. And the same is true of you. He's very personal. He wants a relationship with you. He is drawing you to Himself. And, and if you will seek Him, you will find Him. What, what, a, what a positive statement. It's not you may find Him, could find Him, should find Him. You will find Him. He is a God who desires an intimate, personal relationship with you. And He is standing, waiting, with all the resources of heaven laid before you to engage you in that relationship. God loves us. And David knew that. God, God had made an impact on David's heart. And David says, oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. And in a dry and weary land where there's no water, the circumstances around me may not be good. The, the world around me may not be pointing towards God. They may not be drawing in the presence of God. But I know, I know that in this world there is a resource, there is a source for me, and that source is God. And I can come to Him. I can find him and I can come to him. But I must make a decision and you must make a decision. And David says, I made a conscious decision to seek him. I'm deciding in my life not to sit back and, and just hang out and let happen what happens. I'm going to direct this life with the help of an aid of God to know him better. And I'm going to make a decision to earnestly seek him. I'm going to get up and do that. So and it speaks to me. It speaks to you that we should... Drive our life in the direction of God by earnestly seeking Him, by making that conscious decision and effort to rise on a daily basis and seek God, to know Him. David knows that, that his soul and his flesh can long for many things, and, and, and many things are just distractions in his life. He knew that. Can, can I get a, a amen this morning? There's a lot of distractions in this world. Are you distracted in your life as much as I am in mine? Or is it, and, and there's no way to measure that. But I, I want to be honest. There are a lot of things in this world that can cause me to be distracted. Squirrel, you know, kind of. Every time you turn around, there's something that drives me in a, in a different direction. I, and I'm, I, I guess I, I don't know what it is, but I can be distracted very easily. So when, when my life is being lived before God, I have to intentionally make a decision to direct my life towards God. And I have to recognize that as a daily walk, because my flesh and my soul can yearn for so many things, and so can yours. Galatians chapter 5 tells us about that. The soul and the flesh, I mean the, the flesh and the spirit, are at war with each other. The spirit desires the good, and the flesh desires the not so good. And, and, and there's a battle within us that is waging war in our life. We have a battle with desires. We really do. The Spirit is given to me and to you. At, at the time of salvation, when Christ becomes Lord of our lives and King Jesus enters into our lives, 
In that very instant of time, the Spirit of the living God lives within us. He resides in us, fully living in us. And the Spirit of God is given to guide us, to direct us, and help us move away from the desires of the flesh to the desires of the Spirit. So our soul and our spirit can actually long for God, thirst for God, and be moved in the direction of God. Apart from the Spirit living in me, I'm going to give way to the desires of the flesh every single moment of every day. But the Spirit of God living in me and the Spirit of God living in David and the Spirit of God living in you will move us towards the will of God. And David, David was led astray by his own desires and his flesh. And, and, I, and you, you probably know that story well, but let me just ask you, what's... what's What's distracted you? What has taken you? What desire has pulled you away from the direction God would have you go in? I'm going to put this out there because this is important for us to grasp this morning. There is one thing that will completely destroy personal worship. Do you know what it is? Sin. Sin in my life. Unconfessed sin. A lifestyle of sin will completely deteriorate personal worship in my life and in yours. That's why last week, uh, in talking about spiritual disciplines and knowing God and, and, and desiring to know God better and, and drawing near to the heart of God, we, we focus very intently on confession of sin. It is so imperative that we recognize sin in our life. We, we don't measure it by the standard of the world, but the standard of the Word. When it comes into our life, we accept the counsel of the Holy Spirit of God and, and Jesus Christ crucified and God in the throne room as being our counsel for what sin is and what sin is not. And when we take that counsel into our life, we recognize that there's sin in our lives. We lay it before the Father in heaven who can do something about the sin in our life and redeem us from that sin. But unless we confess sin in our life, if we continue to live with unconfessed sin in our life, personal holiness and personal worship will be greatly hindered. The God of heaven is a jealous God, and He will not share your allegiance with anything else. So if we're in allegiance to a sin in our life, if we are surrendered under that sin and not mastering over it by yielding it to God, then personal worship will be destroyed. It is extremely hard For me to live against the will of my parent. If I know that they want me to do this or that, and I live in... If my mom says, Scott, I really... This is best for your life. And and, and when my dad was alive, my dad says, Son, I want you to do this. And I live in direct disobedience to them in my life. It'd be really hard to have a face-to-face conversation with them. Same is true of God. When we live in direct disobedience to God... It is hard to have a face-to-face conversation with God. And it takes that to have personal worship. It takes that time, that position, and that place. So David says, you know, hey, oh God, you're my God. I shall 
seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. What's your soul thirsting for? My flesh yearns for you. What's your flesh yearning for? It should be yearning for God. So worship is, is a passionate positioning of the person before God. We're passionately positioning ourselves because of who He is. And we also see that if we go to verse 2, read with, read with me. It says, Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David, David sees the power of God and the glory of God in the sanctuary of God. So worship is a personal recognition of God's power. I don't believe you're going to worship God if you don't recognize God as a powerful God. God, God is all-powerful. He, he is God. He, he created the heavens and the earth. And, and we come before God in a sanctuary. And what is a sanctuary? A sanctuary, by definition, is a place of refuge. So we come to God in a place of refuge. Where is the sanctuary? Is the sanctuary here? Is, is this within this building, the confines of this building, is this the sanctuary? Is, is the sanctuary somewhere else in this town, somewhere else in this world? I'd position to you today, the sanctuary is in your heart. We, we can have a sanctuary with God, wherever that refuge is with God, when we come before God and we surrender our lives to God and we, we seek Him earnestly, submitting ourselves, that is the place when we are positioned humbly before God in reverence of who He is, then we're in a place of a sanctuary. We're in a refuge with God. Now, does that mean, Pastor, that, that I can get alone and I can have a sanctuary wherever I am? I don't need to come to church. I've had people tell me that. I don't need to come to church, Pastor, to be saved. That is so true. I wasn't saved in church. I was saved sitting in a lazy boy. <laughs> but I'm not a lazy boy. Okay, so really, I mean, I was there, sitting there before the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me in my home. But the yearning in my heart was to worship God, and I like worshiping God alone, but I love worshiping God as well with the con congregation. And the Bible tells me don't forsake the gathering of the body of believers. Why? Because it's for your benefit to worship with others. So in worship, we, we come together and worship God, and, and we bring ourselves recognizing the power of God. And, and I'm telling you, the, the lack of encounters of God in your life is not because... God is not around, and His presence can't be experienced. The lack of the presence of God in your life and mine is a direct result of the lack of our seeking Him. Are you seeking God? Recognizing that there's a sanctuary for you to come to. We, we find that, and I'm going to put on the screen for you, 1 Samuel chapter 22 has a text that reveals to us that David found a sanctuary, and, and we, we go back and look. Now, let me just position this. Let me set the stage before we read it. He, he, he is sitting before the king of the Philistines in chapter 21. He, he, now, David is the dude that slayed the Philistine giant, okay? So he's come back around. He, he's in the presence of the king of the, of, of the Philistines, and, and he's out of position. He, Things aren't going good, and, and he's really, he's, he recognizes he's not where he's supposed to be, and he makes himself out to be a madman. He starts drooling, and, and the drool fills his beard, and, and the king casts him out as a crazy man. And David leaves the presence of the Philistine king, and he goes to Adullam to a cave, to the cave of Adullam. 
And he goes there, and, and this text is going to be very rapid. I'm going to read two verses. It's going to seem really short, like all this happened in just a few minutes. But I want you to understand, contextually, this took a couple of months, probably three or four months. We see David. He goes to the place from, from going and being before the king of the Philistines. He goes and gets before the king of kings and the Lord of lords in the cave. He finds a sanctuary, a place of refuge. And when he gets positioned in the right place, God brings others around him. So I just want to read that text with you. Let's see what, what uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 has to say. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. David had a congregation. David was in a place that was a sanctuary to him. His sanctuary was a cave. I I didn't realize this until I was preaching in the first service and it just clicked. This is a good sermon here. So all you young men and women that are wanting to go into ministry and you're, you're like, I may have to stand up and present something one day. I'm going to give you three D's that will show you what a congregation is all about. David's congregation that gathered to him, there was 400 men. So that's probably, you know, 1,000, 1,200 people. We don't know how many kids were involved or how many women were involved, but there was more than 400. 400 men gathered, and, and these people, and they were this. Don't miss this. They were distressed, in debt. And discontented. Now, that makes a good congregation. Distressed, discontented, and in debt. And that, that speaks to a lot of us. We're, we're in distress, we're discontented, and we're in debt. And in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we all have a debt. And uh, so here, here we say, maybe not financially, but maybe uh, in, in regards to your, your relationships. So here we see that, that David is in a place of a sanctuary, and he's in a cave. It's, 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 you wouldn't expect to find a sanctuary in a cave necessarily, but David found that as a sanctuary. It was a refuge in God, and he was there where he could then minister and be ministered to in relationship with God personally. And as he personally was filled and positioned in righteousness before God, then he was able to be surrounded by others who were in need. And David poured into them. And, and worship extended beyond just David and his relationship. But again, I position to you, we can't really experience worship corporately until we've experienced worship personally. Do you, do you hear me, church? When was the last time you worshiped God personally? When was the last time you experienced intimate, personal worship before the Father? We must put an emphasis on spending personal time with God. See, I, I can just, and I'm going to sense this in my own heart and see if you can see it with me. David's sitting in a cave. I've had the p- privilege of Googling this and seeing the picture of this cave. So I've got a picture in my mind, maybe better than you. Your cave will be different than mine. But you can Google it, maybe you'll get it right. So anyhow, the, the, here's the position. David can peek out of that cave and he can see the creation of God. When I look upon the creation of God, I recognize the power of God. 
I can't create the sunrise, the sunset. I can't create the rock formations, the mountains. I can't create the oceans. I can't create the animals. I can't create the beings that inhabit this great earth that God created. But when I look upon any of that, I recognize the power that it took to create that. So there's power in that. And David would recognize the power of God. We see that throughout all of David's writings. He recognized the power of God in creation. David also recognized the power of life, that, that life was power. And, and David recognized the power of a group coming together because he was the leader of armies. So he recognized the power in that. But the, the beginning point of all of it, the foundation of all of it was God. And God was powerful. So because God was a God of power, David worshipped him. I'll position before you this morning, you won't worship God if you don't believe He's a powerful God. You'll have no reverence, no respect, no awe of Him. But I'm telling you, when I look upon the sunrise or the sunset, and I see it in its beautiful display, or I see anything of this creation that just grasps my heart, I am drawn to recognize the power of God. I'm in awe of Him, and I worship Him in what He has done. I'm like, you're so amazing, God. And that's worship. Before God, recognizing who He is. It's, it's, a, it's a reverent awe of God. No one had to convince David. Nobody had to convince David that God was powerful. Nobody has to convince me that God is powerful. I've seen God at work on my own life, in my own life. I've seen God do some things that just have set me on my heels. I'm like, go, God, go. Things that you and I, there's no way we could ever do on our own. Uh, just my own personal testimony of salvation and then being called into the ministry and, and the process of God uh, taking care of seminary for me and the way he did all that. And you might have heard the story. You ought to hear it. I'd love to tell you one day. If you haven't heard the story, pull me aside and say, tell me the story. I'd love to tell you the story. I've told atheists. I've sat with, with folks who said, there's no God. I don't believe there's a God. I said, well, let me just tell you my life story. I can't, I can't, I can't answer all your questions. I can't, I can't do away with all your doubts, but I can tell you this. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Or if you don't believe there's a God, let me just tell you what happened in my life. You tell me how it all came together. I love telling my story because there's power in my story. And your story, there's power in your story. It's not just my story. It's your stories. Every saved person has a story of God's hand at work in their life. You've got the story of God taking you from the sinner that you were to the saint that you are. That's power. Amen. You ever tried to be good? I tried it for many years. Mama said I wasn't good at it. You weren't neither. But in reality, there's power when we let God take over our life. So we see this. David, David didn't have to be convinced of the power of God. But I'll, I'm just going to tell you that when, when I recognize the power of God, when you recognize the power of God that David is talking about in this text, it brings us to an awe of recognizing who he is. And we're like, oh, God, you are my God. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power. And I've seen your glory. And truly, he is deserving of glory. The very power of God draws me into a position of worship. 
don't need much more. The recognition of the power of God causes me to fall before. And I'm going to tell you, there, there is something happening right now. Right now. In the heavens above, there are 24 elders surrounding the throne of God. And they are bowing down in front of Him, crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. You know why? Because they are firsthand witnessing the power of God displayed in ways that you and I can't even fathom. They've got a bird's eye view of it all. And they're wowed by God. And they've been doing this for a long time. The revelation of John reveals that to us. And if you, you read that book, what an amazing book it is. It gives you a throne room setting. I don't understand every, everything about the book of Revelation. There's some things in there that are just still flying over the top of my head. But I'm going to tell you one thing I grasp. I grasp the glory of God and the reason to worship Him because He is powerful. When Jesus is in heaven and all of the guys are trying to figure out who's going to open those seals and nobody can open those seals and on comes the scene, King Jesus, and He has the power to open those seals. Oh, wow, what a powerful God we serve. The God that is capable of, of re relinquishing all of heaven to earth to save and redeem you and me through the blood of His own Son, that's power. And raise Him from death, that's power. And we have a God truly worthy of worship. But I, I just tell you, you won't worship Him if you don't believe He's powerful. You won't worship Him if you don't have a passion in your heart for Him as God. The third thing we see in this text in verse 3, it says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Worship is a personal approach to God in praise. It is personally approaching God with praise. Why? Because we have a passion for Him. We recognize His power, so we, we resort to praise. God's love brings us to praise Him. That's what David said. Because of your loving kindness, your loving kindness is better than life. There's nothing in this life that I've experienced, nothing in this life that, that fills my soul, nothing in my life that's ever filled all the vacancies and voids that I tried in the whole world to fill. Nothing in this life fills that like the love of God. When you feel that love come in your life, you experience that newness, that, that feeling of God, the love of God filling your life. It is, it's wow. It is awesome. And, and if you felt that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the, the, that passion that comes because of the power of God to fill your life with that love that only He can brings us to a place where we'll praise Him. God's love is amazing. We, we see there's no greater love ever displayed in this world. John 3.16, just, just grasp it completely. For God so loved you and me and the whole world. Every person that He ever created, He so loved that He gave His only Son. That whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing love. I'm going to look down upon a busted and disgusted group of people who are broken in most, most people's opinion beyond repair. 
And as the God of this universe who created them, I'm going to do the only thing that can change them and save them and redeem them. I'm going to give my son to die in their place and pay the price for their sin. What a loving God we have. And when we recognize the loving kindness of God towards our lives, we ought to praise him. My appropriate response is to praise him. But many people struggle. Right here, they struggle. Let's just get real here for a few minutes. A lot, a lot of people struggle at this point. Say, so, you know, Pastor, that sounds good. Man, what you're talking about just sounds really good, but you've never walked in my shoes. You've never lived my life. And boy, have I had a mess. I have a young lady, I think it encapsulates many stories I could give you, but this young lady encapsulates probably the greatest way I can tell you um, what I want to tell you this morning, because a lot of people could sit here today or a lot of people could be in this world and say, a loving God, if there's a loving God in heaven, a loving God would not allow this to happen in my life. So this lady comes in and sits in my office one day and she said, Pastor, I want to share my story with you. And she began to tell me her story. And I'm telling you, it wasn't long in that story. My heart began to just shatter, began to weep hearing her story of all of the abuse that had been done in her life. And as I heard her story, my heart just was torn apart. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, you stand in a pulpit and you preach this Jesus who loves everybody. And her words, I don't remember exactly, but were something like this. If there's a loving God in heaven, why didn't he stop this from happening in my life? began to think through that passionately, compassionately with her that day. And I looked upon her and I said, a loving God in heaven didn't stop his own son from dying on the cross to save the sin of mankind. All this began at the sin in the garden. And God, in his love, watched his own son die for sin. And you know, God was capable and is capable right now uh, because he's, nothing's impossible for God. Scripture tells us he's, he's capable of stopping that or anything else that anybody else is dealing with. But if God, the God of heaven and creation, steps down and stops the sin act in your life, then would he be righteous if he didn't stop the sin act in her life, in his life, in everybody else's life? And if God stopped the sin act in everybody's life, then there wouldn't be any brokenness. And we wouldn't even know our need for Him. And I'll tell you this, that day will come when God steps out of heaven and ends all the brokenness. Revelation chapter 20 tells us about that. When He binds Satan, the deceiver, the liar, the abuser of mankind, in the pits of hell for eternity. And he rises as King Jesus for eternity. He will put an end to all of that. So no matter what your circumstance is or what your situation that you're going through, we're not dealing with situational ethics here. We're talking about the reality that God is consistent and a consistent lover of mankind. His loving kindness endures. And in the end, he redeems and restores it all. So we come before that God. 
And, and just, just to validate what I'm saying, let me just turn to Revelation chapter 21. And let's look at this. I'm going to put it on the screen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 through 4 says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And then Revelation 22 verse 1 says this. Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming up from the throne of God and the Lamb of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I just want to pause it. In the beginning, in Genesis, there was a tree of life. And Adam and Eve chose to eat of another tree. And God put a flaming sword protecting the tree of life from mankind eating of that tree of life and living eternally in their sin. And he protected that. And, and in the end, that was in the creation. In the recreation, that tree of life comes back. And it's very visible for us. And we feed off of that tree of life. And verse 4 says, They see his face, and his name will be on the... I'm sorry, verse 3 says, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. So we, we see here... Oh, yeah, let me keep reading. I, was, I, was, I knew it was somewhere. Verse 5. And there will no longer be any night. That's what I wanted to get to. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of light of a lamp, nor of light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. What a powerful statement, church. There'll be no more night. You say, I'm going through night right now. I'm going through a situation in my life. I've gone through a situation. Very dark, Pastor. I understand. Maybe not fully your situation. I've experienced darkness myself. But I am serving the King of light. And darkness will pass. And light will rise. So because of His loving kindness and because of all that, that I have understanding of God's power and because of the passion that I have because He has touched me personally and He is my God, I can praise God with my lips and have personal worship with God. And as we look in David's words there, he says, So I'll bless your name as long as I live. Verse 4. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. See, he said, I'll, I'll bless, I will bless you as long as I live. I, I'm going to do this continually in my life. David had sinned against God. He knew the, the wage of sin was death. He had he'd coveted Bathsheba. He had committed an adulterous act with her. And conceived a child. And then he had killed Uriah. He was guilty of three of the Ten Commandments that he knew well. And, and, and in that life, in that moment, he, he had suffered greatly for his choices of sin. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you want to ever read that, 
And so great understanding of what David dealt with. David, David dealt with the fact being called out that he had sinned. He understood his sin. He was called out for his sin. His child died. He was mourning. He was, I mean, he was uh, uh, fasting. He was covered in sackcloth and ashes. He was fasting before God. He was crying out to God to have mercy on his child. And he, the child died. And when the child died, he found out he died, he stood up, he cleaned up, and he fed. And they were in awe. Why, why, you were, you were, like you were in mourning when the child was sick, and now the child dies, and, and, and you're, you're eating, and, and you're clean. And, and he says, that child, where that child is, I will go, but that child cannot come back to me. And he worshipped. The, the Scripture tells us he worshipped God. Because he had a passion for God. He knew God personally. He knew God was a God of power. And he knew God was worthy of praise. Regardless of his circumstance and his situation, he knew God was worthy of praise. So personally, he positioned himself to praise God. There should be an outward display of our worship for God. He lifted his hands and he praised God. Let me ask you, in closing this morning... Do you have a passion for God? Do, do you really have a passion for God? Are, are you in a place where you know that God saved you? God changed your life. God redeemed you from the pits of hell. He, he took you from the sin that you were so strangled to. And he, he delivered you. And I'm passionate about it. Are you passionate about God? You understand the power of God. To bring your situation from a situation of death to a situation of life. Are you ready to praise God? Personally stand before God and praise Him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll just go where I started. We won't experience corporate worship the way God intends for us to until we've had personal worship the way God intends us to. When we've come in here and we've personally worshiped God, the corporate worship will be much sweeter. Our fellowship will be much closer, and it will all be about Him. Father, we thank You for Your love. Thank You, Father, that we can come together this morning and, and we can read Your Scriptures and we can see where David, uh, he, he, he recognized You as God. He was passionate about You. And, Lord, he saw the power in You. And rightly, he praised You. See, so God, we're here before You this morning. You're God. You know us. Nobody knows us like you know us. Nothing for us to hide. And Lord, we're going to stand before you in a moment here. Rightly, we should do business with you. Concerning our personal act of worship. God, I pray that you'll move in every heart here. Touch us in a special way, Lord. I pray that we'll leave here. And we'll ponder this text. We'll, we'll ponder what you're saying to us right now. God, we'll be drawn in closer relationship with you through personal praise and worship. We'll find that importance in our life to earnestly seek you as David claims to do. God, put an earnestness in our heart to seek you. Lord, move in our lives at this time. Lead us to be what you've called us to be, your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. We're here. It's time of invitation. It's your time. You can come to the altars. You can pray. You can come talk with one of us as a minister. We're here for you. And you may need to just spend some time right where you are this morning.
talking to God about your own personal worship. Getting that right. Position yourself before Him. But I'm going to tell you, personal worship will not happen until you've had personal surrender to the King. So let me invite you today to be saved, to know the power of the resurrected Christ in your own personal life. You move as God leads. This is your time, church.
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we have so many things to be thankful for. Our hearts are filled with gratitude this morning for all that you've done for us. And we've sung about how you have nailed our sins to the cross and we bear them no more. We think about what Jesus did for us. Help us to take the message we just heard to our hearts and apply it in our lives. And whenever we're tempted to sin, remind us in a way we cannot resist of what your son did to pay for those sins. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day when you will descend from the sky, when you'll gather your people. We're thankful to be part of your church, the the very bride of Christ. And we, we look forward to that day when we will dine with you in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Meanwhile, you've given us work to do. Help us to do it. Give us the power of your spirit to do everything you've called us to do. We pray for our missionaries wherever they are today, that you will protect them from harm and bless their work. And we ask your blessing on the gifts, the offerings we're about to give. And it's a small token of our appreciation for what you've done for us. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, I'm Brenda Spain, and I'm one of the volunteers for Operation Christmas Child. This is the 16th year that First Baptist Church has participated in collecting shoeboxes for Samaritan's Purse that's going to go to children around the world. Um, As many of you all know that I found out a couple of weeks ago, several of you do not know about Operation Christmas Child. It was started by Franklin Graham, I think like 27 years ago. And that first year, I think nationwide, they collected, I think it was around 4,000 shoeboxes. And then now it's 11 million is our goal for this year. So it's going to go to little boys and girls in 110 different countries that for the most part have never received a shoebox, a gift in their life. We see pictures, the excitement. If you go to SamaritansPurse.org and look up Operation Christmas Child, you're going to see children that is receiving a gift for the first time. And you can just imagine the surprise, the glee. They are so thrilled to receive these shoeboxes. And so anything you can put in there that's, because, you know, every time you do a box, that means another child gets to hear about Jesus. And that's what our goal is. And they are going to also receive a 12-week little storybook that's called The Greatest Journey. So for 12 weeks, they're going to get to hear a different story about Jesus that we've heard all our life. They've never heard. And then they will have a graduation for them cap, gown, and everything, and they tell us that nine people minimum see this Greatest Journey book before it's ever kind of put away, just like we do our books. We look at them and then put them away. So these children help their other brothers and sisters, their moms and dads, their grandparents, their cousins, their next-door neighbor. This week is special, though, because we're having our first-ever three-day packing party. So Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we could sure use your help. We have got over 300 dresses. We've got over 800 totes. We've got all kinds of balls and gloves and school supplies and and uh, teddy bears and little cars and you name it to go in a shoebox, we've got it. And we need your help so bad to help get this packed up. And so if you can help us uh, even get everything unloaded. So Thursday morning, it will take us literally six hours to get all of this out 
get it separated for each boy and girl, two to four, five to nine, or ten to fourteen. And it's it's a job just to get the whole setup done. Then we're going to start packing. So I know the bulletin uh, says nine to four, but I'm going to change it to nine to six. So if some of you want to come straight after work and pack up a few boxes, it would tickle us to pieces. But um, And then next Sunday is our dedication day. So the 17th, you, we want you to bring your packed shoebox that you've done at your home to fill to bring for the boys and girls to help us reach our goal of 1600 for First Baptist. So I've got my boxes ready. They're ready to put on the altar. Hope to see you next Sunday. And we will, oh, just be sure and pray for your boxes. No matter what you do, fill it full of prayer before you put that lid and the rubber band on. Make sure you got your label. You can put it on the bottom of your box or at the top of your box. I pay for mine online. You can go to SamaritansFirst.org, follow your box, pay for your shipping online. Then you'll get an email when it starts going out to the country it's going to that will let you know which country your shoebox is actually going to be delivered to. Not the child, but the country. But God bless you all for, for participating with us, for donating to us, for loving us, and for all of the volunteers. We just say thank you so much for everything that you have done to make Operation Christmas Child another successful year here at First Baptist Church. Thank you.